0: Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 61. Native Americans 1. Mother. Now, there are many possible places where I could begin the history of the Native American peoples, but I think that the most comprehensive place to do so would be Africa in about 70,000 BC. You will know by now that I'm all about thorough introductions, and this might seem excessive, even for me, but, trust me, there is a method to my madness. My history of the United States is a long project, and season one was just the prologue. In many ways, this is the real beginning. Before I talk about any of this, it's worth saying a word about the study of prehistory. It is one of the most exciting academic fields out there, and it is constantly changing. But this makes writing histories of it quite difficult, because new evidence makes old theories obsolete. So, while I'm using very recent publications, it's almost certain that new studies will be published between the time I have written this episode and the time that you actually listen to it. And that assumes you listen to it immediately upon its release, never mind people listening to it as part of a future back catalogue. So, I'm not saying that I'm writing nonsense, but likewise, don't take every statistic as gospel. Instead, consider this as an introduction to some of the popular theories of the period in the early to mid-2010s. Okay, now that we have that covered, why do I want to begin a history of Native Americans in Africa in 70,000 BC? Well, in 70,000 BC, something quite remarkable happened on the Horn of Africa. A small tribe of Homo sapiens crossed over out of Africa into Arabia, In this tribe was a woman whose name we don't know, but we have labelled her Eve. In every generation, some families and some maternal lines die out. Over time, almost all maternal lines die out. This is something known as matrilineal drift. Mitochondria is passed down along the maternal line unmutated, making it possible to trace back to mitochondrial Eve, the woman who was mother to the whole world. It is thought that she lived in East Africa, about 200,000 years ago. This is about the point where our species, Homo sapiens, begins to appear. We stayed in Africa, but then, as I say, about 70,000 years ago, Eve and her tribe left. And all humans, aside from Africans, are descended from her. We don't know why exactly they decided to leave, but we have theories. Hominids had advanced to the quickest during times of adversity, our species in particular. About 70,000 years ago, the Toba supervolcano erupted, the single largest natural disaster on Earth. In the last two million years. There would have been a huge effect on the climate, and some theorise that humans almost went extinct, with our numbers dropping to several thousand. Then they began to expand, and they would have been terrifying. On popular media, prehistoric man is portrayed as stupid, but we have reason to think that they were much more intelligent than us. Their brains were between 10 and 15% larger than ours. Think of the difference between wild animals and domesticated pets. That is the difference between us and them. That said, they wouldn't have known what exactly they were doing. This group of humans wouldn't have known they were leaving Africa. They were just doing as they had always done. Moving along the coast by a mile or two each year but they were embarking on a course that would change the world. The world was full of hominids, but they were no match for Homo sapiens. It is pretty clear considering that only Homo sapiens are left. That isn't to say our distant cousins were hopeless. Neanderthals were less intelligent than Homo sapiens, but they managed to survive for 100,000 years. Our species has only managed to survive outside of Africa for 70,000, so perhaps it is too soon to be overconfident. Neanderthals were probably unable to talk, so they couldn't convey complex information in the manner that we can, and they instead communicated through song. Our interactions with them were complicated, they almost certainly tried to imitate human ideas, but they couldn't. While they wore animal skins, Homo sapiens invented the needle, allowing the creation of close-fitting clothes, which offered much better protection against the elements. It is thought that some interbreeding did happen, but we were more likely to kill Neanderthals and eat them. These humans continued travelling along the coast. They reached the coast of East Asia about 40,000 years ago, and then they turned north. About 20,000 years ago, they crossed the land bridge between Alaska and Siberia, Beringia, and from there, they traversed the continent. They reached the southern tip of South America by 10,000 BC. By which point the land bridge had closed, and Native Americans began to develop in isolation from the rest of the world. I'll get more into the specifics of Native Americans in our next episode, but rather than begin part way through an episode, I think it would be worth taking a moment to familiarise ourselves with North American geography, since we're about to look at the whole continent for the first time. Like I say, in many ways, This is the real start of the story. In its simplest terms, North America is an upside-down triangle, with two large bites taken out of it. Hudson Bay in the north, and the Gulf of Mexico in the south. There are two parallel mountain chains running down the sides of the continent. The Rockies in the west, and the Appalachians in the east both of which have fascinating histories, and since I have no self-restraint, I must include this information. The Rockies are babies in geological terms, contrasted to the much, much older Appalachians. The Appalachian Mountains have their origins about 500 million years ago in the southern hemisphere. Before the Pangean supercontinent, was the Gondwanan supercontinent. Gondwana was located in the southern hemisphere and wasn't as large as Pangea. There were several other continents floating about. One of these was Laurentia. This was made up of North America, Scotland, and bits of Ireland. It was off to the north, and was separated by the Ipetus Ocean from the small continents of Avalonia, essentially England, Wales, and the rest of Ireland. About 490 million years ago, Avalonia pushed towards Laurentia, closing off the Iapetus, and eventually crashing into Laurentia, creating a mountain chain known as the Caledonians. After the initial thrust, the mountains slowly wore down and broke into two about 80 million years ago, when North America began its move westwards, creating the North Atlantic. The European remnant of these mountains is found in Scotland, where they are known as the Grampian Mountains, or the Highlands, and the Ottunhegstnen of Norway. But the North American part of the chain is the Appalachians. It was this westward push that created the American Cordillera, of which the North American Range is the Rockies, which dominates the western United States. Most of the mountain range was formed in the last 15 million years. This range has great tectonic instability, producing the numerous faults familiar in California and areas of volcanic activity. The age of the Appalachians is why they are so much smaller. The highest peak of the Appalachians is Mount Mitchell, and stands at 2,037 metres, or 6,684 feet. This is in contrast to Mount McKinley in the Rockies, which stands at 6,194 metres, or 20,321 feet. It's quite a difference. The other key feature of the North American continent is its size and the climatic differences this produces. Temperatures drop to minus 66 degrees Celsius, minus 87 degrees Fahrenheit in the north of the Arctic landscape, while in the south they rise to 57 degrees Celsius, 134 degrees Fahrenheit. Bearing all this in mind, the climate of the continent begins to take shape. The north of the continent, in essence Canada, is dominated by its cold weather. Tundra in the far north of the islands and the northwest territories, and then further south is the North American section of the taiga, sometimes called the boreal forest, or the snow forest. This is a needle leaf forest that stretches all around the globe in the Northern Hemisphere. Then, the United States itself has three distinct regions the broadleaf forests surrounding the Appalachian Mountains, the mountains of the Rockies with a temperate rainforest on the Pacific coast, and then, in between them, the Great Plains, which, as early man crossed the continent, would have been dominated by vast herds of buffalo. The Appalachian region of the southern states, famously the location of District 12 in the Hunger Games, has a great deal of coal deposits, while the more southerly region was well-suited for agriculture. The soil was fertile, the temperature was warm, and the air was moist. We've already begun to see this in our narrative, although we have not yet seen the creation of the vast plantations. The south is tropic. The famous example being the Everglades in Florida. The Great Plains would be opened up by the railways of the 19th century, seeing the creation of Chicago as a major city. Timber was a great resource in the more northerly plain states, such as Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan, while the flat plains of the prairies would become vast farms for livestock and crops. When you picture Iowa, if you were like me, you will picture cornfields. The land further west in the foothills of the Rockies were the domain of the cowboy. The Pacific side of the Rockies is rather unique, with its well-watered valleys in the northern states of Washington and Oregon, and then the drier south of California, which has long held an important role in American history, going back beyond its tenure as the largest state by population. Now, What can you work out from this brief overview? Its connection to the modern United States is inescapable. Its geographical characteristics are almost unable to shake off the present. The only place really able to do it is the Great Plains region, with its strong association of herds of buffalo. There is also the danger of working out the degree of inevitability of history, but it is unavoidable. The southern United States is well suited for agriculture. It's not surprising that a plantation society sprung up there. If we take this a step further, it is possible to view much of human history as the result of geography. This is particularly true when the United States and the Native American peoples are thought of. The Agricultural Revolution is one of the most important events in human history. It allowed more humans to live than hunter-gathering, and the production of food surpluses allowed the development of civilization. One of the necessary requirements for agriculture is access to the edible grasses, things like wheat, maize, and rice. There are 56 different edible grasses in the world, and 32 of them can be found in the Fertile Crescent of the Middle East, where many early civilizations emerged. In contrast, the Americas had four, Western Europe one, and southwestern Australia had none. I don't like to say that things are inevitable, but given their resources, it's not surprising that the Old World developed much faster than the New. There are other possible reasons for this lag in development. Eurasia is a continent which is stretched around the world from east to west. Climates are generally quite similar, and communication isn't that much of a problem. In contrast, the Americas are stretched pole to pole, making the transition of ideas and cultures that much more difficult. It's a curiosity. Native Americans were not savages, don't get me wrong, and they did have a civilization. But we have to wonder why they never developed anything like the Old World. Why was there nothing like the Greek Golden Age in Appalachia? Why was there not the the religious revolution that occurred in the Old World? I should probably explain this because it's something that is difficult for those brought up in the modern world to understand. Monotheism was a revolution when it first appeared, and the nature of old world religion was changed forever. If one studies early Indian history, you cannot really consider Hinduism a religion until the arrival of Islam. Buddhism, likewise, was considered a personal code. What mattered was what you did, and how you lived your life, not what you believed. As our members will know, Aztec religion works quite differently. Current theories wonder about why this is, suggesting that the volcanic world of the American Cordillera, when combined with an abundance of psychoactive drugs, created a dark worldview, which embraced the inevitability of pain and death, which the gods merely watched. It's certainly interesting to think about, I think that just about covers us for a broad introduction to the subject of Native American studies. Next time out, we can get into some more specifics. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember you can find out more information online. Just go to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the membership feed, should you so wish to learn more about Mesoamerican culture. You can continue the conversation on social media. We're on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash the History of Podcast, and on Twitter at History Jamie. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.